Bibles, please, to Revelation chapter 20. And I have to apologize again for those of you that have not been with us through the Sunday evening service series in the book of Revelation because uh, it just kind of leaves you behind in what I'm going to talk about today. And I don't have time to go back through the previous messages. There's already been three on this subject, and I've still got more to go. So we're looking here at the fourth message on verses 11 through 15 in the 20th chapter in which the Apostle John has a vision of the final judgment of God upon condemned sinners. Now, to me, this is just simply a fascinating study, and I've taken a lot of time to look at this in detail because I do think it's very important for us to understand. I believe that God would have us to know this because there are uh, two essential factors in Scripture that affect every person no matter when they're born, no matter what period of history that they have lived in. And the first is salvation in Christ and their eternal destiny of heaven. And the other is the reprobation of every person that dies without Christ and their eternal destiny in the fires of hell. The destiny of every person is fixed at the point of death. When the body dies, the soul leaves the body and it's destined for one of two places— Either the soul enters into eternal life and the joy of heaven, or it will enter into eternal death and the damnation of hell. And both of those places are discussed here at the end of Revelation, and we would expect it to be so because John has a vision of the future. This is a vision of what's going to happen at the end of the world, and so he takes up both subjects, both heaven and hell. Now, we're looking here in this scripture at the negative side of that. This is reprobation. It's the condemnation of unbelievers to hell, or if you prefer to call it the judgment of unbelievers by the righteous judge, Jesus Christ, then that's what this particular scripture is about. The Bible separates all people into one of two classes, either the righteous or the unrighteous, either the saved or the lost. And so it is naturally fitting that those two classes would be discussed here at the end of Revelation because John's viewing the end of the world. So that's the purpose. One of the purposes of Scripture is to show us the different destiny of the righteous and the unrighteous. Now, if you look here at the 11th verse, we're going to read this section again in which John sees the great white throne. This is the judgment seat of God, the judgment throne of God, and the disposition of the wicked dead. Stand with me, please, as we read God's word. Revelation chapter 20, verse number 11. John says, And I saw a great white throne, and him that sat on it, from whose face the earth and heaven fled away, and there was found no place for them. And I saw the dead, small and great, stand before God, And the books were opened, and another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged out of those things which were written in the books according to their works. And the sea gave up the dead which were in it, and death and hell delivered up the dead which were in them. And they were judged, every man, according to their works. And death and hell were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. And whosoever was not found in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come to your presence now, and we realize what a tremendous subject is before us now, uh, the doctrine of punishment and the doctrine of hell, and how that people do need to understand this and know that there is a destiny at the end of this life, and we need to be sure before we leave this life where we are going. 
So, Lord, we pray that you would bless as we speak your word today. Be with us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. This is really a a tremendous subject. And as I've studied this over the past few weeks, I've become just more and more intrigued about this doctrine of hell and the doctrine of judgment, uh, this really fascinating scene that John describes here in Revelation chapter 20. My interest in this is not a morbid curiosity. I mean, it's not really that I just love to talk about judgment and I love to talk about hell, but I realize how important this is. This is a very important theme of Scripture because you can't actually deal with the salvation of any person unless you understand what people are saved from. Probably the greatest single tragedy of evangelical churches today is that they have dismissed or they have ignored an essential part of the doctrine of salvation, which is the doctrine of hell. And they don't want to imagine that there is a God that would have anything to do with hell. And if God does have something to do with hell, then we really don't want to talk too much about it. It's best that we ignore that and not think about it. We just simply tell people that God is love and leave it at that. Don't talk to them about this doctrine of hell. I heard Joel Osteen say that people have enough negatives in their lives, and so he would rather deal with the positives, that he would rather lift people up and just give them hope. One thing that we're sure of, if people die without Christ, we are positive that they're going to go to a place that is called hell. And salvation has no meaning unless we're actually saved from something. And if we don't need to be saved from anything, there's no point in really talking about salvation at all. Well, the scene that's described here in the book of Revelation is inspired by the Holy Spirit of God, and it definitely shows us there is something to be saved from. And if you don't believe this scene, then you don't believe the death of Christ had any meaning at all. The cross is pointless. The humiliation that Christ went through on that cross is pointless. The incarnation of Christ, him coming into the world, is pointless. The resurrection of Christ is pointless. And even to carry that further, the church is pointless. And my standing here and preaching to you today is pointless. But if this place called hell is real, and this scene is real, and the judgment is real, then we'd better preach it, and we'd better understand it, because the greater percentage of the population of this world is going to lose their souls in the eternal fires of a burning hell. Now, I was studying the subject, and I, I read something that really disturbed me. I was reading about others who, some others who teach the doctrines of grace as I do, and I read a comment that there are some who believe that there are people that will go to heaven regardless of whether they have heard the gospel of Jesus Christ and believe it. There are some people who teach that God is going to save his elect without the gospel of Jesus Christ. And that the elect are so great in number among the redeemed in heaven that there are multitudes there that that will actually be in heaven that have never heard of Christ. And they say things like that because they want to mitigate the complaint that God sends so many people to hell. And so they believe that actually the vast majority of people are going to be in heaven. And that the scene that we're looking at here, by comparison, is a small number of people that will actually die and go to hell. Now, I I could only say about that that I would hope that it would be true. 
But looking at Scripture and seeing what the Word of God has to say, I can't believe that that's true. I don't believe that anybody is ever going to be able to go to heaven unless they hear the gospel of Jesus Christ and they believe that gospel. And then it's also apparent that the gospel has not even been preached to the greater number of people. And among those that have heard the gospel, there are more people that don't believe it than there are that do. And I really don't think that we have to argue for God. We don't have to mitigate what God does and make the case better for him and make him look better because that situation exists. I simply say this, that the wisdom of God is far beyond my understanding And it's another reason why that I don't worry about the truth of whether God elects people to salvation because if he does, why should I argue against it? I mean, it's God's decision to do that. Charles Spurgeon said that election is God's declaration of the intent to save. And if God saves whom he he pleases, then how could anyone dispute that God has the right to intend to save whom he pleases? Well, those things are different matters for a, for a different day, but they do figure in to how many people that we think, the, the, whether the greatest number of people are going to be at the great white throne judgment. And here we see that there are, I believe, multitudes of people that are condemned and they will go to hell, and they don't go to hell because they're not in the elect of God. That's not the reason anybody dies and goes to hell. I mean, it's a pure fabrication to say that a person who believes in predestination or election believes that God predestines people to hell. I don't believe that. The Bible doesn't teach that. God does not predestine people to hell. And so these people are not in hell because they're not elect. They're there for one reason, and that is because of their hatred for God and their refusal to believe the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now let me point out to you five areas of discussion that we've already had, and I I don't have much time to spend with these, but uh, let me just mention them to you so you can just get the blanks on your listening sheet filled out. Number one is the contrast of the throne. And that is the difference between God's ruling throne and the great white throne. Those are two different places. And the same people are not going to be present at these two thrones. These are different groups of people. The second thing was the countenance of the judge. Who did John see sitting on the throne? Well, John saw his face, and the judge is God in the person of Jesus Christ. Thirdly, we've talked about the consumption of the creation. The great white throne judgment takes place after this universe has been annihilated. Now understand very clearly that the souls of those who believe in Jesus Christ are not annihilated and the souls of those who do not believe in Jesus Christ are not annihilated. We're not talking about the annihilation of the spiritual world, but rather we're speaking of the annihilation of the physical world. And that's because the physical world has been tainted with sin. Through and through, this is a sinful universe in which we live. And God has to get rid of that sinful universe. And he will create a new heaven and a new earth. Fourthly is the call to judgment. The Bible says here that the dead, small and great, appear before God. And so this judgment is inclusive of all people in all ages. Now what's happened here, we're looking at the end of the world. Everything is gone at this time. There are no people on the earth because the earth is gone. And the souls of men that rejected Jesus Christ are now held in a place of torment. And their bodies, before the world is destroyed, their bodies are going to be all resurrected at the same time And that's what the Bible calls the second resurrection. And that is the resurrection to judgment. 
And there are no lost people that are going to be absent from this judgment. Fifthly, and this was the subject that we talked about last week, is the considerations for judgment. The Bible says that the books will be opened and every person will be judged according to what's written in those books. And so they're judged according to their works. Every deed, every thought, every word is judged. And God has an infallible record of every aspect of every person's life. And if their names have not been written in the Lamb's book of life, then the absence of their names from that book seals their eternal damnation. So we've covered those five different areas. And again, if you haven't been with us for the study, I'm sorry. Uh, You could get tapes or whatever, the CDs of this, and you can listen to the previous messages. But today we're going to move on to the sixth part of this, which is the conclusion of judgment. Now, I'll warn you right now, this is not the final point just because I call it the conclusion of judgment. Uh, There's still some more to go, and we're going to wrap up this series with uh, uh, some other important uh, aspects of this that we need to talk about. I'm not even going to be able to finish point number six this morning. So let's go back, if you would, to the 12th verse for just a minute. And John says, I saw the dead, small and great, stand before God, and the books were opened... And another book was opened, which is the book of life, and the dead were judged out of those things which were written in the books according to their works. Now, last week, we talked about those books that are opened up for judgment. Now, in particular, there's a book that contains all of the works that every person has done. Now, that's the book that I mentioned just a moment ago. It records every deed, every thought, every action, every word that's spoken by every person. And it's apparent when God opens that book that there are some people there that are worse than others. That the books are going to reflect that there are some that are greater sinners than others. That they have sinned longer and they have sinned in greater magnitude than some other people have sinned. Well, to give you an an idea of what we're talking about here, we could look at, for instance, the prison system that we have in California. There are prisons that are located all over California, and we know the complaint is that they're bursting out with all of these criminals. They're filled to the brim. Some of them are in minimum security prisons. Some of them are in medium security prisons, and some of them are in maximum security, and that depends upon the severity of their crimes. So you have some prisoners that have been charged with terribly violent crimes. There are some that are completely incorrigible. And, and if our court system did what was right, I think, and justice was much swifter, then we would have a lot of these people that are on death row that would be executed, put to death much more quickly than rather than being a continual burden, a burden on our society. Now, that's really not my point today, and you may have a different opinion. But we know that there are terrible crimes that have been committed. And some of the worst offenders are locked up in these maximum security prisons. And I think about some of the crimes that people commit, and probably the worst one, some of the worst ones that come to my mind, is when I think about people that abuse children, people that kill children. And what a heinous crime that is, the sexual abuse of children, the mutilation of of children. I mean, there are really just some heinous crimes that people commit, things that people are guilty of, and they're held in prisons, California, and many other places in America. Now, most of us, have no problem believing that a person like that ought to be sent to hell. 
I mean, we think that everlasting punishment, that is what that person deserves. But we're also faced with a perplexing problem that there are people that are generally fairly good moral people. They're law-abiding citizens. Some of them are very religious and some of them are very benevolent. And it's really hard for us to imagine that those kinds of people would be punished at all, much less to think that they would go to the very same place that these terrible criminals will go. But the Bible teaches that all are sinners and the best morality that you could ever come up with on your own, the best that you could ever be without Jesus Christ is no good at all. Every person deserves punishment. All have sinned against God. But the fact remains that not all have sinned against God in the same way. Not all have sinned against God equally. And that's why we find in verse number 12, it says that the dead were judged according to their works. And so that means that the punishment that's given is commensurate with the crimes that are committed. This is something that you always find throughout the Bible. It's always true that God teaches, God practices retributive justice. In other words, the Word of God says every transgression receives a just recompense of reward. And so God is going to punish people according to the amount of sin and the magnitude of sins that they have committed. Now, here's the point that I'm really driving at with today's sermon and where we're going to spend our time, and that is with this fact that there are degrees of punishment in hell. Not all of the condemned are given one uniform punishment. Now, hell then is, is not one large cauldron that God throws people into and, and then God uh, punishes them in exactly the same way according to their works. Now, the Bible doesn't tell us enough about hell to tell us how God is able to separate that out and able to uh, punish people in a, in a, in, to different degrees in this one particular place. We don't fully understand that. And we don't fully understand the opposite side of that that there are degrees of reward in heaven. How does one person enjoy heaven more than another when everybody in heaven is immeasurably happy? I don't know how to figure that out, and we're not asked to figure it out. We're just told that it's true. And so whether you're talking about rewards or punishment, there are degrees, degrees of rewards in heaven, and there are degrees of punishment in hell. Now, in our study of Matthew on Sunday mornings, we we recently read a scripture that talks about degrees of punishment. And this is in Matthew chapter 10. Uh, Jesus is giving instructions to the apostles before they went on the first missionary journey. And in the 10th chapter, Jesus was speaking about the reception of the gospel. And he said that you'll go to places where people will welcome you, and people will invite you in, and people will be receptive And they will gladly hear the gospel of Christ. But then he said, there are some that won't hear. There are people that will be very hostile to it. And incidentally, the message that the apostles were preaching was the message about judgment. That everybody is going to stand before God. And so Jesus said, when you go into a place that's a house or a city that's hostile to this message, he said, let your peace return to you. And this is what he says in Matthew 10, 13 and through 15. And if the house be worthy, let your peace come upon it. But if it be not worthy, let your peace return to you. And whosoever shall not receive you nor hear your words, when you depart out of that house or city, shake off the dust of your feet. Verily, I say unto you, it shall be more tolerable 
for the land of Sodom and Gomorrah in the day of judgment than for that city. You notice what Jesus says? He says, it shall be more tolerable. And there is actually a statement of proportional punishment. Now, throughout Scripture, Sodom and Gomorrah stand for the wickedest crimes against God that heathens can commit. I mean, whenever the prophet or the apostles wanted to pull up the lowest standard of despicable people, he would go to the example, they would always go to the example of Sodom and Gomorrah. Now, just to give you an example of that, a sampling, uh, in Isaiah, Isaiah wrote, For Jerusalem is ruined and Judah is fallen, because their tongue and their doings are against the Lord to provoke the eyes of his glory. The show of their countenance does witness against them, and they declare their sin in Sodom, and they hide it not. Woe unto their soul, for they have rewarded evil unto themselves. So Isaiah uses that example. Jeremiah used it. Ezekiel used it. Amos used it. Zechariah used it. All of these prophets, when they wanted to make reference to the worst sins that people commit, they come up with this example of Sodom and Gomorrah. And when you come into the New Testament, it's the same. Jesus used that in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Peter used it, and then Jude also used it. Let me let's, let, let, let's listen for a moment to what Jude had to say. In Jude chapter, uh, in that uh, verse 6 and 7 of, of his uh, little book, he says, And the angels which kept not their first estate, but left their own habitation, he hath reserved in everlasting chains under darkness under the judgment of that great day. Verse number 7, Even as Sodom and Gomorrah, and the cities about them in like manner, giving themselves over to fornication and going after strange flesh, listen, are set for an example, suffering the vengeance of eternal fire. So there's no doubt that the Bible, when it talks about the wickedness of Sodom and Gomorrah, that it's a very heinous crime that they've committed against God. And there are yet people today who think that those types of sins are natural and that they're acceptable, they're tolerable, but that what they really need to do is to get a grip on what God has to say about this. But even though the Bible talks about the wickedness of Sodom and Gomorrah, as we see here, there's still a worse sin that can be committed. And that is the sin of hearing the gospel of Jesus Christ and rejecting the message and also the messenger. And there are going to be many people at the great white throne that have never actually heard the gospel, and they're guilty of terrible sins. But it's worse for a person to hear the gospel and to be told about judgment and to be told that Jesus Christ died in order to deliver them from that judgment and then to reject the message and to reject it with hostility. That is the worst sin that anybody can commit. Now, I think I've told you before, one day I was passing out tracts uh, in one of, the, one of the neighborhoods here and, and I met a man and a woman that were standing on the sidewalk and I took out a track and I handed it to the man. And the woman angrily grabbed that track out of the man's hand and he said, we are not interested in this stuff. Well, there was a person that had opportunity. There was a person that had the opportunity to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ and they were hostile towards that. And I can promise you that the punishment in hell for a person who does that is going to be stiff. There are many people that pass through the doors of this church and they hear the gospel of Jesus Christ preach and those same people go out of here and they don't believe it. 
And the Bible teaches that the judgment for them will be worse and their punishment will be worse for this simple fact that there are degrees of punishment in hell. Now, we also notice that Jesus talked about Tyre and Sidon. Those were two wicked Gentile cities that were close to Galilee. And Jesus had been preaching uh, in the towns of Galilee. He'd been healing people and casting out demons. And he ran around, ran around, went around the Sea of Galilee to all these different towns, and particularly in towns like Chorazin and Bethsaida and Capernaum that were right there next to the sea. And Jesus did all of these miracles in those cities. But they wouldn't believe it. They wouldn't believe the message that he was preaching. And so Jesus said that those wicked Gentile cities of Tyre and Sidon would fare better in the judgment than those cities of Galilee that heard the gospel of Jesus Christ and refused to believe it. In that same passage where Jesus speaks of this in Matthew chapter 11, he also once again brings up the uh, city of Sodom. So he claimed... Jesus claimed that if the same miracles were done in Tyre and Sidon, that they would have uh, believed in Christ, that they would have repented of their sins. But what the Jews did was to reject the Messiah with supposed impunity. And so you see, it's very serious to reject the gospel of Christ after hearing it, and the punishment of hell is going to be far worse for people that hear the gospel and reject it than it will be for heathens on the backside of nowhere that never even heard of Jesus Christ. Now, we need to understand something about this. This does not mean that those who do not hear the gospel of Christ will not be in hell. And it doesn't mean that good moral unbelievers are not going to suffer. All the guilty are going to suffer to the degree that their sins, of the sins that they've committed, although the degrees of that punishment is going to be different. Now, it's still eternal punishment. And it's not like, well, it's just uncomfortable for some. And it's really not so bad. God raises the body of those that are lost. And he joins it again with the soul. And then he casts these people into the lake of fire where there's everlasting destruction. And that body that the person has given is made not to be consumed in the fire. And the pain that anybody's going to experience when they go into hell is going to be indescribably excruciating. Now, another passage that we have that talks about degrees of punishment is in Luke chapter 12. And I'd like you to turn there if you would. And Jesus illustrates this by uh, giving us a parable. And he states it so clearly that there is no mistaking about what he means. This is in Luke chapter 12, starting with verse number 42. If you would look in that scripture, Luke 12 Verse number 42. And the Lord said, Who then is that faithful and wise steward whom his Lord shall make ruler over his household to give them their portion of meat in due season? Blessed is that servant whom the Lord, when he cometh, shall find so doing. Of a truth I say unto you that he will make him ruler over all that he hath. But, and if that servant say in his heart, My Lord delayeth his coming, and shall begin to beat the men servants and maidens, and to eat and drink and to be drunken, the Lord of that servant will come in a day when he looketh not for him, and at an hour when he is not aware, and will cut him in sunder, and will appoint him his portion with unbelievers. And that servant which knew his Lord's will and prepared not himself, neither did according to his will, shall be beaten with many stripes. But he that knew not and did not commit things worthy of stripes shall be beaten with few stripes." For unto whomsoever much is given, of him shall be much required, and to whom men have committed much, of him 
they will ask the more. So there, Jesus speaks of more stripes, and he talks of few stripes, and that is indicative of the eternal state. And so what he's telling us is that the more that you know, the more that is required of you. And so if you hear the gospel of Christ and reject it, then the punishment for that will be much greater. Now, what we tend to do is to think that the contrast in in these two types of people is mostly between a heathen that lives somewhere in Africa or wherever and Joe Schmo in America that you give him a track and he refuses to take it. The great contrast is between those two. But the scriptures actually teach that the far greater burden is placed upon those who live in the middle of a community of churchgoers. And they actually go to church themselves, and yet they have really not come to faith in Christ. And the far greater burden is placed upon preachers that lead people down a wrong path, and they don't teach them the truth about salvation. And when they're through with their messages and through with their teaching, they make people think that everything is all right, when really it's not. The Bible has scathing words for false prophets and a preacher who teaches the devil's doctrine. And I shudder, folks, to think of what it's going to be like for the popes of Rome and to think what it's going to be like for teachers of Mormonism and for the Jehovah Witnesses and anybody that teaches a false gospel to people. They are going to be held accountable and their punishment is going to be great for leading people down a path that takes them to hell. And then there's another important point here that we need to consider. One of the things that we desire, and we have a health care system that helps, tries to help ensure this, is that people live long lives. And so that what we try to do is we try to keep people alive because if you have loved ones or friends, you want to keep them around as long as you can. And what I'm about to say to you might seem to be very insensitive, but I want you to listen to the entire point and understand what I'm saying. If you have a relative that's an unbeliever, It is better for them to die right now than it is for them to go on in unbelief and die without Jesus Christ. Now, I want you to listen to the reasoning that we find in Romans chapter 2. And I'm I'm breaking into a much longer discourse about rejection of God. And so you really do need to read this whole passage later. But Paul is speaking here, and he's talking about unbelievers. And in Romans chapter 2, verse 4, in the last part of that verse, he says, Despiseth thou the riches of his goodness and forbearance and longsuffering, not knowing that the goodness of God leadeth thee to repentance. Now, I want to stop there for just a second. He says, The goodness of God leadeth thee to repentance. Do you remember reading in the Psalms when the psalm was just, psalmist was just overwhelmed with this that God prospers the wicked? And the psalmist was perplexed about this. Why do the wicked prosper? Well, every day that the wicked prosper and every day that God gives a person goodness and that person doesn't repent, according to the Apostle Paul, what he's doing is adding to the misery of hell. Now listen carefully to why this is true. Paul says, Despiseth thou the riches of his goodness and forbearance and longsuffering, not knowing that the goodness of God leadeth thee to repentance, but after the hardness and impenitent heart, treasurest up unto thyself wrath against the day of wrath and revelation of the righteous judgment of God who will render to every man according to his deeds. See, you ought not to be envious of your neighbor that has everything that he wants and you have nothing. 
Because every day that that person lives in unbelief, he is just adding to the record of the book of works that has all the sins that he's committed. Now, God gives him those things. And the more that he sins and, and the more that he rejects God and God keeps on providing, the greater and greater is his condemnation. So what he's doing is actually increasing the intensity of his suffering in hell. And so what you ought to do is feel pity for your neighbor because his, his eternity is much different than yours is going to be. The eternity of the wicked is going to be much different than yours. And then I think about this. We, we do want our loved ones to live a long time. And I tell you that what you need to do is keep praying for their salvation. They can be saved at any time. Right up until the time that they take their last breath before they leave this life, they can be saved. But truthfully, folks, if they will not believe, then it's better for them to die sooner than later. Now, I know it would be very hard for anybody to pray a prayer, God, take them soon. But the reality of it is, if they go on in unbelief, the more sins that they commit, the greater it's going to be for them, the more terrible it will be for them in the day of judgment. Now, I don't know of any preacher on either side of this debate about sovereignty, election, or any of that stuff, who would say this, that it's better for an unrepentant sinner to die old than it is to die young. Now, at some point, what you have to do is you just have to surrender yourself to the absolute sovereignty of God because God takes the person when it's his decision to do so. I mean, that's just the way that it is, and we have to put everything in the hands of God. So I tell you, keep praying for that person and pray that God saves them before another day passes because you don't want them to die in unbelief. Now, I think of Jonathan Edwards' great sermon, Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God. His text was in Deuteronomy 32, verse 35, where God says, To me belongeth vengeance and recompense. Their foot shall slide in due time, for the day of their calamity is at hand, and the things that shall come upon them make haste. Now, Edwards took one phrase out of that verse, Their foot shall slide in due time. And that was an outstanding sermon that he preached. I'm going to read you... In the end of our sermon today, we're, we're getting close to the end now. I'm going to read you a little bit of what Jonathan Edwards had to say in that great sermon. In the introduction of the sermon, he said, The reason why they are not fallen already and do not fall now is only that God's appointed time is not come. For it is said that when that due time or appointed time comes, their foot shall slide. Then they shall be left to fall as they are inclined by their own weight. God will not hold them up in these slippery places any longer, but will let them go. And then, at that very instant, they shall fall into destruction. As he that stands on slippery declining ground on the edge of a pit, he cannot stand alone. When he is let go, he immediately falls and he is lost." The observation from the words that I would not insist upon is this. There is nothing that keeps wicked men at any one moment out of hell but the mere pleasure of God. By the mere pleasure of God, I mean his sovereign pleasure, his arbitrary will, restrained by no obligation, hindered by no manner of difficulty, any more than if nothing else but God's mere hand had in the last degree or in any respect whatsoever any hand in the preservation of the wicked at one moment. And then in the conclusion of the sermon, Edward said, And there 
Are there not many here who have lived long in the world and are not to this day born again? And so are aliens from the commonwealth of Israel and have done nothing ever since they have lived but treasure up wrath against the day of wrath. Oh, sirs, your case is in a special manner is extremely dangerous. Your guilt and hardness of heart is extremely great. Do you not see how generally persons of your years are passed over and left in the present remarkable and wonderful dispensation of God's mercy? And let me, talk, let me tell you what he's talking about there. Jonathan Edwards was preaching at the time the First Great Awakening. And when he preached the gospel of Christ, there were thousands of people, 34,000 people during that time, repented of their sins and came to Jesus Christ and were saved. So Jonathan Edwards is preaching the sermon in the midst of all these people that are coming to Christ, and he's warning those that he's speaking to that God is going to pass over them if they don't receive the gospel of Christ. If they don't believe, they're going to die die and they're going to go to hell. And he says, you have need to consider yourselves and awake thoroughly out of sleep. You cannot bear the fierceness and wrath of the infinite God. And you, young men and young women, will you neglect this precious season which you now enjoy when so many others of your age are renouncing all vanities and flocking to Christ? Talking about the great numbers of people that were coming in the great awakening. You especially have an extraordinary opportunity, but if you neglect it, it will soon be with you as with those persons who spent all the precious days of youth in sin and are now come to such a dreadful pass in blindness and are now come to such a uh, a blindness and hardness, rather. And you children who are unconverted, do you not know that you're going down to hell to bear the dreadful wrath of that God who is angry with you every day and every night? Will you be content to be the children of the devil when so many other children in the land are converted and are become the happy and holy children of the King of Kings? And let everyone that is yet of Christ and hanging over the pit of hell, whether they be old men and women or middle-aged or young people or little children, now hearken to the loud calls of God's word and providence. This acceptable year of the Lord, a day of such great favors to come, will doubtless be a day of as remarkable vengeance to others. Men's hearts harden and their guilt increases apace at such a day as this if they neglect their souls. And never was there so great danger of such persons being given up to hardness of heart and blindness of mind. God seems now to be hastily gathering in his elect in all parts of the land, and probably the greater part of adult persons that ever shall be saved will be brought in now in a little time, and that it will be as it was on the great outpouring of the Spirit upon the Jews in the apostles' days. The election will obtain, and the rest will be blinded. If this should be the case with you... You will eternally curse this day and will curse the day that ever you were born to see such a season of the outpouring of God's Spirit and will wish that you had died and gone to hell before you had seen it. Now, undoubtedly, it is, as it was in the days of John the Baptist, the axe is in an extraordinary manner laid to the root of the trees that every tree which brings forth not good fruit may be hewn down and cast into the fire. Folks, those are some powerful statements that he made. I mean, you really ought to read the rest of that sermon. It's no wonder that when Jonathan Edwards preached this sermon, he rocked New England with the gospel. And those thousands of people were saved. You know what they were saved by? They were repentant sinners because they were taught the doctrine of hell. And they were taught about endless punishment. 
And so Jonathan Edwards did not say, I don't want you to, to, to bore you with this because I know that you already feel bad about so many things. So I don't want to talk to you about hell. Let's talk about something more positive. 34,000 people would not have come to Christ if Jonathan Edwards did not preach that there's an eternal hell that God sends people to if they don't repent of their sins. And yet, where do you hear it today? Where do you hear that being preached in, in, in pulpits today? The gospel is watered down. It's nothing today because it includes no repentance from sin. It includes no turning to Jesus Christ. It includes nothing about him being Lord of your life. People don't get saved unless they know there are consequences to rejection of Jesus Christ. Now, there are degrees of punishment in hell, folks, and no one ought to go a single moment longer without receiving Christ because the longer that you wait, the more serious is the suffering. And what you've done, if you don't know Christ, you have already amassed amazingly humongous amounts of punishment that's going to be heaped upon you because you haven't believed in him. And that's if you were to die right now. Much less if we should think as you'd live 10, 15, 20 more years. You don't want to keep on sinning and not knowing Jesus Christ. That's for sure. So if you haven't trusted Christ, it's unimaginably foolish that you ought to take even another breath without believing in him. Now you see why I say this? Why it's better for a loved one to die young rather than old if they persist in unbelief? But the sovereign God has his hand in it all, and God will do what he pleases. I want to leave you with one more scripture that teaches degrees of punishment in hell. I'd like you to turn to the book of Hebrews chapter 10, and we'll finish with this. And I have a lot more to say the next couple of weeks on the subject. Hebrews chapter 10, and beginning in verse number 26. Hebrews 10, verse number 26 For if we sin willfully, after that we have received the knowledge of the truth, there remaineth no more sacrifice for sins, but a certain fearful looking for of judgment and fiery indignation which shall devour the adversaries. He that despised Moses' law died without mercy under two or three witnesses. Verse number 29, of how much sorer punishment suppose ye shall he be thought worthy who hath trodden underfoot the Son of God, and hath counted the blood of the covenant, wherewith he was sanctified, an unholy thing, and hath done despite under the Spirit of grace. For we know him that hath said, Vengeance belongeth unto me, I will recompense, saith the Lord. And again, the Lord shall judge his people. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. Verse 29 says, Of how much sorer punishment. And he means for you to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ and then to reject it is the worst of all possible scenarios. Hell is hotter for those who hear the gospel and reject it. Now, you see, the Bible teaches degrees of punishment. It's a sobering thought. I mean, this entire scene that we're reading here in Revelation is absolutely sobering and frightening, and it ought to be to every single person in here if you don't know Jesus Christ. Now, here's what you should do, I think, and that is if you know someone that's lost, if you have a loved one that's lost, you have a friend who doesn't know Christ, you ought to get a copy of this sermon and give it to them. You ought to distribute this, share it with somebody. I know most of you are saved, so I don't want it to be lost on a crowd of saved people. As one person said, you know, we, we need to do more than just sit around and talk to each other about us being saved. We need to get this out to somebody. 
So that's what you ought to do. One more day without Jesus Christ brings immeasurably more endless suffering. People must repent of their sins and trust Jesus Christ for their salvation or they're going to go to this awful place called hell. In the next few weeks, we're going to look at hell itself and what the Bible has to say about punishment in hell, what that's going to be like. I don't know. Maybe we'll come back on Sunday morning again and, do, and keep doing this until we're through with the subject. I haven't decided that yet, and we'll let the Lord lead in that. But you need to tell somebody about this. People are dying and going to hell right now. Your friends and your loved ones may not have the opportunity to take another breath. Tell them before they die without Jesus. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come to you now. And again, the seriousness of this, of this passage that's before us, there's no way that we could even possibly measure how important that this is. Lord, I pray that you would even speak to some soul today, if they don't know Christ, that today would be the day that they put their faith in him, that they re- repent of all of their sins and trust Jesus Christ and then have him be, be the Lord and master of their lives. Lord, speak to people, draw us close to you, and make us as Christians, Lord, willing to give this gospel to others so they might be saved and avoid this terrible judgment that's coming in the awful place called hell. Bless us as we sing now. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.